Well, good evening, everybody. Good evening. If you'd open up your Bibles to the 127th Psalm, Psalm 127. We're going to be reading in Psalm 127 and 128 momentarily, and we'll actually be referring back to those passages throughout the, the duration of the lesson. And so this is an appropriate time to get those Bibles fired up and get ready to go as we work together here in the Scriptures for these next few minutes. Once again, we find ourselves meeting in the darkness of night. It seems like these daylight hours just get shorter and shorter during this particular time of the year, but it gets me thinking about the fact that we are headed toward a place where there will be no darkness. We're headed toward a place where there will be no night because the Bible says that the glory of God is going to be the light in that place. So we assemble together on days like this in order to remind ourselves of that, sing these wonderful songs about heaven that call our hearts to want to be there, and opportunity to encourage each other in spiritual things as we uh, journey toward heaven with each other. I'm just so glad that you made the decision to be here tonight. Glad to have some of our folks that weren't able to get out this morning, that you are able to be here tonight. It's just a privilege for us to, to assemble together and to worship together and just to be together as the family of God. I'd like to begin this evening not in the traditional way in which I normally begin sermons. Instead, I'd like to begin this evening by actually playing a game. Would you like to play a game? I think our kids would probably think, yeah, let's, let's play a game. How about we play a game tonight? Is anybody up for playing one of those games that are so common on smartphones these days? With smartphone technology and things on the App Store and the Google Play Store, games are free and they're just a click away. And so we're always filling up our time, our empty time and our free time with some of those sometimes very mindless kinds of games, but they are kind of addicting. Let me tell you about a game that I remember downloading on my phone a couple of years ago. Maybe you did as well. It was this game here. Four picks, one word. Do you remember that game? Or maybe some variation. Maybe had a different title of that particular game. It was a very addictive game. I just saw other people playing it, and I was like, well, I'll give it a try. I ended up playing that game way too much. The premise of that little game is really kind of simple. The game is going to give you four images, four pictures... And those four images, they have at least one thing in common. And your job is to try to figure out what that one thing is. And you've got to unscramble all the letters to be able to figure out what that thing, that common thread that they have uh, in common with one another. And so, for example, here's, here's four pictures there. There's a transmission tower, there's a football field, there's a chessboard, and there's a road. And so we've got a bunch of letters there at the bottom of the screen, and we've got to be looking for a word that's four letters long. You may know what the common denominator is in this. This was kind of one of the higher level questions. All of those things are, it's a line. Yeah, I heard some folks say that. It wasn't too terribly difficult. You just think about it a little bit, and all of those are formed in the fashion of a line, or maybe they are lines in and of themselves. How about we, how about we do that again? Kids are like, yeah, let's, let's do that. Let's just do that the whole time. Why, don't, don't preach. Don't do any of that. Let's just keep playing this game. Well, we are going to do it one more time. And we're going to use the premise of that game to actually introduce the topic of study for this evening. However, in an effort to kind of try to make that a little bit more challenging for us, I'm not going to give you four images. I'm actually just going to give you three images. You need to see if you can figure out what the common thread is amongst these three pictures. Are you ready? Here we go. The first picture is... A gift. A gift. We all know what a gift is. A gift is something that one person gives to another person. Usually you give it to someone that you love or somebody that you care about. and You give that to them to to be a blessing in their lives, to benefit them in some way. A gift. Secondly, the picture is an arrow. 
Arrows. That's the one that guys and men, I think, would kind of like. Arrows are important tools or weapons that if they're used properly, they can be useful for a person's protection or maybe for a person's even for their provision to be able to, you know, to, to kill an animal and be able to provide for their sustenance. And so we've got a gift. We've got arrows. And then the third picture, this is, this is an olive plant. Now I've never seen an olive plant in person. I always just thought that olives came in a jar. I never knew that there was an actual plant out there for that and actually develop into olive trees. And in Bible times, actually olive plants and olive trees were actually very, very valuable. And not just for the fruit, for the olives that they would produce, but even more so for the oil, the olive oil. And that oil would be used not just for cooking purposes, but more importantly, use that oil in your lamps to be able to give light. That was such a valuable commodity. And so we've got a gift, we've got arrows, we've got an olive plant. What do those three images have in common? If anybody thinks that they know the answer, maybe just right now, just nod silently. Anybody? Wow, zero. Nobody. All right. Well, for the benefit of everybody who does not know, there may be somebody who maybe just feels like it's unscriptural to nod silently in church, and so maybe you're refraining right now. Would you look in your Bibles in Psalm 127 and Psalm 128? Because the answer is found right there in this text of Scripture. What is the common thread amongst these three images? I'm reading tonight from the New American Standard. Read with me in Psalm 127, beginning in verse 3, and then we'll work right into chapter 128. Psalm 127, verse 3. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Verse 4, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy and it will be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children like olive plants around your table. The psalmist uses these three images to describe children. These images represent different aspects of the parent and child relationship. More specifically, what a child is to be for their parents. It is the ideal that God is shooting for. And what's being described in these passages is the description of a home as God would have it. And I want you to understand that those different images, those metaphors, those aren't just some cutesy metaphors that the psalmist came up with just to merely sound flowery and poetic when he wrote. No, there's actually some real gravity to this text. What we just read there, kind of in the middle of these chapters, is what I would kind of call the meat on this sandwich. Would you look, though, at maybe what we might consider the breading on the top and the bottom? Look at the top piece there. Psalm 127, look at verse 1. How does that psalm begin? Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Do you know what that means as you think about your family? That means that your house cannot be strong. 
Your family cannot enjoy the happiness that these psalms are trying to talk about here unless we let God construct all of the relationships within our home and particularly this evening as we think about God helping and molding our kids to meet His divine criteria. And then look at the bottom of the sandwich. Look in Psalm 128, look at verse 5. The Lord bless you from Zion... And may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Indeed, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. That that just sounds wonderful. The culmination of a home as God would have it. I really don't even know what the prosperity of Jerusalem is, but it sure sounds good. Give me a double helping of that. I'll take as much of that as I can get. And you know the amazing thing about all of this, what the psalmist says, is he says that that can happen in my house. That is, if I let the Lord build it. And so tonight, I want to spend just a few minutes looking at these three word pictures as we bring our preaching theme for 2016 to a close. We have spent the past 12 months, at least once a month, searching God's Word to learn more about parenting God's way. And in that time, we have covered just an awful lot of ground. We've talked about how to help kids to know God and how to help them to worship God. We've talked about helping them to understand important concepts like baptism and understanding prayer. We've talked as well about our own blessing, the blessing of praying for our kids. And as well, we've talked about the danger of spoiling our kids. We've had lessons directed to moms, lessons directed to dads, even a lesson directed to grandparents and so much more in between. And I must tell you that I have been personally challenged and benefited from these studies. And I assure you that this will not be the last time that we ever visit this subject because if the good Lord should will, I've still got many years of parenting ahead of me and I know that I need all of the help that I can get in that department. I want to just say right here that I have appreciated so very much your encouragement in these lessons throughout this year. You should know... These lessons have benefited a lot more people than just that are in this building. These are actually some of the most downloaded sermons on our podcast that we've had for the last three years. And I think that maybe the reason these lessons have been so well received is because I have made it a point not to stand up here and tell you, now this is what I did with my kid, and so this is what you ought to do with your kid. I have specifically steered away from that kind of teaching. Instead, I have been diligent to focus our minds specifically on the spiritual training of children. I'm just focused on on what the Bible says about raising children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And this evening, as we close this series, it's not going to be any different. I want to conclude this series tonight by looking at those three amazing word pictures that are given to us in Psalm 127 and 128. I think in many ways this will serve as a good way to tie together some of the ideas and the themes that we've talked about throughout the year as well as to maybe hit on a couple of things that we haven't really talked about specifically. Three things that God wants us to understand about our children that if we can get these things right, what the psalmist says is he says that we will have a happy home. We will have the kind of home that brings honor and glory to the Lord. And that all begins with that first image that's mentioned there in Psalm 127 and verse 3 when the psalmist says that children are a gift of the Lord. Let me break that out in a couple of different directions this evening. First of all, parents, we need to understand that our kids, your kids, they are God's gift for you. 
that God gave you children, watch this, to make you happy. That's what the psalmist just said in these passages. That God gave you children to fill your life with blessing. That they are existing as, look at the last part there of verse 3, as a reward in your life. And that is how a gift is supposed to work, isn't it? You know, nobody gives somebody a gift to, to ruin their life or to make them miserable in some way. No! A gift is something that is designed to make your life better. You know what? I think that's actually something that needs to be stressed these days. Because it seems like within the last, I don't know, 50 or 60 years, it seems as if our culture has gotten things really kind of messed up. Our culture has kind of flipped things around. Somehow our kids have come to believe that we, as parents, we are God's gift for them. That the world just revolves around them. And parents then exist to bring blessings to them and blessings and joy and all the stuff that they want. But you know what? That's not what the Bible says. That is not God's design and God's plan. Can I just say right here to kids? Kids, listen for just a second. When you grow up and you get married and you start to have a family of your own, you can have your own children and that will then be God's gift for you. And they will bring you blessings and they will bring you joy and that will be God's gift for you. But in the meantime, for now, while you're under the care and the watchful eye of mama and daddy, you need to understand that you are the gift to us. Are you listening to me? You are God's gift for me. Do you comprehend? She does not comprehend that. We're going to work on that though as the years go by. And do you know what all of that then means practically speaking? What that means is, moms and dads, is that means that there needs to be less catering to their whims and their desires and instead more of them catering to us. And before somebody maybe gets worked up and offended about that and says, oh, that just sounds terrible. What are you talking about? Kids are for you. That almost sounds like child abuse. That just sounds so selfish. No, it's not. That is God's order. That is God's plan. Psalm 127 and 28 bears that out. Furthermore, I want you to understand as we think about this idea that children are a gift, parents, children are also, and maybe in some ways more importantly, they are God's gift to you. That is, they are a gift that God has entrusted to you and to your care. Think about if maybe if someone had like a like an antique car, maybe just a really, really nice car. And they wanted to, to give that to someone else as a gift. I'm going to pick on Randy here. Randy, you, Randy's got a Mustang. And imagine if it's some... Or Camaro. Boy, I'm sorry. Oh, man. I'm going to be in so much trouble for that, I'm sure, afterwards. Imagine that a day comes when Randy decides he wants to gift that Camaro to somebody else. Now, Randy, I'm sure, is only going to give that to somebody that he knows is going to be responsible with that gift. And while that car, ultimately Randy's going to have to give it over into the possession of that other individual, while it may come into that other person's possession for that time, Randy, I think, still has the right to at least expect that that person's going to show respect and appreciation for this wonderful and generous gift, and they show that appreciation by taking care of the gift. 
Do you see then the parallel to the gift that God has given to moms and dads? Parents, God has given us a possession of a very precious gift. And He expects us to take care of that gift or those gifts in the way that He desires and in the way that He says. In Ephesians chapter 6 and in verse 4, this is a passage that we have read probably more than any of the other passages about parenting in the Bible. We've read this repeatedly this year. Paul says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I want you to notice there, when God says, bring them up, that's indicative of some responsibility being placed on us. I've given you something, now I want you to do something with it and do it in a particular kind of way. We are, in many ways, we are stewards. We are stewards of these precious souls. We are stewards of these gifts that He has given us, and that means that we're going to be accountable. In some respects, we're going to be accountable for these gifts. Would you hold your place in the Psalms? Look with me in Deuteronomy chapter 6. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, here is a command... That Moses gives to the Israelites, and yes, I realize this was during the Old Covenant, but there's a timeless truth here that carries right across whatever covenant you're talking about. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, look with me beginning in verse 6. In Deuteronomy 6, actually let's back up, let's get verse, start in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. These words, verse 6, which I am commanding you today, shall be on your heart. Then notice verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Let's just stop right there. I want you to please notice that Moses does not say that children are a gift to the world. And so it is the world's responsibility to tell them all of these things about God. Furthermore, Moses does not say that your children, they are the gift that God has given to the church. And it's the church's responsibility to instill all these things into your kids. No. The Bible says that children are God's gift to parents, to you. And Moses says repeatedly here, he says, you do these things. You mothers and you fathers, you do this stuff. You teach them. You spend time with them. You make them and mold them into the very best thing that they possibly can be. God gave you children for a purpose. I'll tell you, I wish that was something I had thought about more in the beginning of us us having a child or even before we had a child. The thought that God gives us children for a purpose. There's a reason why He gives us children. He has a direction that He wants us to shape these children in and and use them for His service. So God then says, He says, bring them up and you care for them as the precious gifts that they are. Secondly then, as you turn back to Psalm 127, the second image that the psalmist uses there is he says that children, children are like arrows. One fellow wrote a book. The book was called uh, Tender Warrior. And he talks a lot in the book about, about family things. And he, he borrows this metaphor, I'm going to assume, from Psalm 127, this metaphor about arrows. He said the following. I really like this. He said, as I write these words, I am looking at three arrows on my desk. They differ from one another. Any archer could see that at a glance. Yet in other ways... They are remarkably similar. 
They are good arrows, but then again, they're not much better than the archer who notches them on the bow. They're not much better than the smoothness of the release. No matter how finely crafted these arrows might be, accuracy demands a trained, full draw and a disciplined release. As I write these words, I'm looking at a picture on my desk. It is a picture of my three sons. Now, for him, his quiver was full of at least three arrows. My quiver isn't nearly as full as that, guys. I have just one arrow, one daughter. Others of you, as I look around this room, have all kinds of different quivers, of different combinations of sons and daughters and different numbers of arrows in that quiver. But you understand, they are gifts. They are God's gift to you and for you. And as the author of that little book there pointed out, they are gifts that must be trained and practiced and focused. They are intended to be an asset of defense and integrity to the family, not to be a liability or to be a weakness for the family and for the family name. They are put under our charge to be a benefit to our home. But you know what that's going to require? It's going to require a lot of focused and purposeful work on our part. Look again there at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. Look at what he says there. Fathers bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. Just like discipline is required whenever that arrow gets drawn into the bow. And discipline is required whenever that arrow is finally released. Our kids, our kids need discipline. You think about it. Every child, every child is different. Some kids seem to be just naturally good. And others seem to be naturally adverse. Maybe that's a good word to use. But you know what? Regardless of whether they're naturally good or naturally adverse, they all need, they all need the same thing. They all need training. They all need training. And in order to accomplish that, God wants them to be in the home And ultimately in Christ, He wants them to be disciplined. And that means we're going to have to instill discipline in them. And when I talk about discipline, I'm certainly not talking about the modern day kind of thinking that says we ought to just let kids do as they please and let them just make their own mistakes and they'll just kind of make their own way in life. No! Their lives are not arrows in their own quiver. They are arrows in our quiver. And all too often... On a day-to-day basis, I remember when I worked for the child support office, I just saw this tragically every day. All too often we see the tragic results of not training and disciplining a child. Toddlers, they, they wear their parents out and the parents then, we make excuses for them. Young kids, they lack manners and they don't say yes sir and no ma'am and just they're just rude and they're ugly all the time and then we turn around and we feel bad because we spanked them or we grounded them. Preteens, they test the waters of irreverence and they skirt the truth. And as parents, sometimes we just kind of act oblivious to what's going on and to their behavior. Teenagers, teenagers sometimes, they end up building lives that are almost completely separate from their parents. And sometimes as moms and dads, we're just okay with that. You know, all of those illustrations, I say shame on us. Shame on us in all of those areas. Because you know what? A day is going to come. As you think about the arrow metaphor here, a day is going to come where we're going to have to let that arrow, we're going to have to let it go. And that arrow is built to fly far away from us. And what we hope is that it will hit the target 
The target of faithfulness to God and service unto Him. Do you know what? If it misses that target, moms and dads, could it be that we end up shouldering some of the responsibility and some of the blame for that? Because we did not train them, we did not discipline them as we should have. Would you look with me in the book of Proverbs, please? In Proverbs chapter 29, let's start there. I've told you a couple of times this year as we've read through the wisdom literature that I've been keeping some lists of just some of the the common themes that I have noticed the wise man just kind of keeps reiterating over and over again. And they just jump out at me. And it says to me that if this guy just wants to keep bringing this thing up over and over, it seems to me to be kind of a hint that this is probably pretty important. And the Proverbs do say an awful lot about this idea of discipline and even specifically the idea of discipline of our children. In Proverbs 29, let's just connect some verses here. In Proverbs 29, look in verse 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. Let me be very clear as we read these verses. I'm not standing up here and telling you how to discipline. I'm not here to advocate this is the way that you have to do it. I'm just going to read what the Word of God says. You're going to have to decide on your own how you're going to administer that training and that discipline. How about in Proverbs 3? In Proverbs chapter 3, look in verse 12. In Proverbs 3 and in verse 12. For whom the Lord loves, He reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom He delights. You delight in your child. If you love your child, you're going to correct. You're going to discipline. In Proverbs 13 now. In Proverbs 13 and in verse 24. In Proverbs 13 verse 24, the wise man says that he who withholds his rod hates his son. Notice the contrast now. But he who loves him disciplines him diligently. In Proverbs 19, in Proverbs chapter 19, look in verse 18. In Proverbs 19 and in verse 18, discipline your son while there is hope and do not desire his death. I could probably talk for a long time about that particular proverb. There's something about it that actually kind of tickles me a little bit, but there's the importance of discipline being stressed there. Proverbs 22 now. In Proverbs 22, two verses here in Proverbs 22, In Proverbs 22 and in verse 15, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Drop down to verse 26. In verse 26, do not be... That's the wrong verse. Proverbs 22, 26 is not the right verse, and I don't even remember what should be the right verse. Proverbs 23, let's go ahead and get that one. That's the last one I've got. Proverbs 23, verse 13. Proverbs 23, verse 13, this one's probably my favorite. Proverbs 23, verse 13, Do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. The kid isn't going to die from discipline, whether that be with the rod, the spanking rod, or maybe that be a rod of a different sort, the rod of a grounding or depriving of certain privileges. They're not going to die from that. Ultimately, if it's accepted right, it's going to be for their good. They're going to live. They're going to know the joyful and abundant life. Parents, I really believe that the greatest love that we can show our kids is to have enough care for them to reprove them, to discipline them. And the Bible says that yeah, it, that doesn't bring us pleasure. It's not like we, we enjoy doing that. We don't, we, don't, we don't get any kind of happiness from having to do that. But we understand that it is necessary. We understand that it is important to the betterment, to the long-term health and picture here. We need to embrace the discipline of God so that when they grow up, When they grow up, they will be disciplined. Think about it. As we think about this idea of an arrow, 
They're your arrows. And their flight through the air, it's going to be a reflection of your training. Did you train them as you should? Finally then, Psalm 128 gives that third image, and that is that children children are to be as olive plants in our homes. Think about that olive tree. Just like the olive tree that is cared for, and it is pruned, that would be kind of some disciplined sorts of thoughts, and it ends up producing fruit and oil in order for that house to be to be illuminated and to be benefited by our kids, even from as young of an age as we possibly can start them with, they should be taught that they are not just consumers, but that they actually can be providers to our homes. That is, that they exist not merely just to take, take, take all the time. No, they exist to give something, to provide something for the good and for the happiness of that family. You know what I have learned? I have learned that is hard for kids to understand. Because think about it. Think about who all of the big companies in our world, think about who they target with their products that they're selling. Who do they target? Who's the main demographic they're looking for? They're looking for kids. All the apparel companies and the big shoe companies and the game makers and the movie industry, they have trained our kids through advertisements and commercials and all kinds of other means. They have trained our kids to be takers and consumers. And that's why they market all of their products to them especially. Because kids and teens, they produce by the billions. They consume by the billions. And so what are we going to have to do? Well, we're going to have to work that out of them. And the way that we do that is by that final component in Ephesians chapter 6 and in verse 4. Fathers, raise them up, not only in the discipline of the Lord, but in the instruction of the Lord. We're going to have to instruct them in the way to be producers, providers, instead of just takers all the time. And I want you to understand that if we do not clearly instruct them in how to be productive and to be constructive, they won't be. They just won't. When I worked for the child support office, this was probably one of the most disheartening things. And you just see it generation after generation after generation. Kids who are not instructed in how to be productive and to be constructive, what happens is they just end up becoming leeches. They're leeches off the government. They're leeches off other people. They're leeches off just anybody that they can find. They're takers, takers, takers. They're not much for giving and providing and producing. Well, what do they need there? Well, they need some instruction. Instruction in a better way. Well, what exactly does it mean that we're going to provide them instruction in the Lord? Well, there are actually only two other places in the New Testament where that word instruction is used. Would you find both of those with me? First of them is in Titus chapter 3. In Titus chapter 3 and in verse 10, as Paul talks here about the divisive brother, this brother who is divisive within the within a local church, he says in Titus 3 and in verse 10, he says, Reject a factious or a divisive man after a first and second warning. You see that word warning there? That's the word. That is the word that is translated instruction in Ephesians 6 verse 4. Warning. Think about that with our kids. Instructing our kids involves warning them about some things. Warning them about their error. Warning them maybe even by, by pointing out illustrations and examples in the world around us. Remember when I was very young, 
Uh, all, I think all of us boys were, were born and alive at that point, and all of us were able to, to observe and notice some things. We were driving down the road uh, one time, and there was a, a cop, a, a, a police officer that had pulled a man over. And we saw that man as we were slowly passing by. We saw that man being put in the handcuffs. And I remember, I think maybe it was Aaron who asked, Daddy, what are they doing to that man? My dad used that as an opportunity to do some warning. To say, that man did a bad thing. He broke the law. He did something that was wrong. And now he's going to serve the consequences of that. He's going to jail. He's not going to see his family tonight. That impressed, I still remember that. I don't know how many years ago that that's been. But that was a warning using just things in the world around us to warn us of the consequences of evil and of error and of wrongdoing. We need to do that. We need to do some of that kind of warning. Then notice the other place where that word instruction is found. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, speaking here about the mistakes that the children of Israel made. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, look there in verse 11. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11... He's got done talking about the, the, the grumbling and the, the murmuring of the Israelites and how they suffered the consequences. Verse 11 says, Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. What Paul is describing there is he's describing learning from the written word. These things that are written, they are there for our instruction and our learning. And just very obviously within our homes, what's that mean? That means we're going to have some time where we talk about the Word of God. Maybe we're just going to sit down and we're just going to read the Bible together. Maybe we're going to have a family Bible study. Talk about Bible stories and the principles that are illustrated, the truths that are conveyed in those stories. We're going to instruct our children in the living Word of God. That is so critical, and that's an idea that we've talked about just a whole bunch this year. Now, having said all of that about that instruction business, can I show you what I believe is the very best way to instruct our children? Go back to Psalm 128 where we started. In Psalm 128, I believe the psalmist gives us the key here to making instruction work. In Psalm 128, look in verse 1. Psalm 128, verse 1. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. Drop down to verse 4. Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. You know what that's describing? That's describing your example. Parents, the best way that you can instruct a child is by your example. That when you fear the Lord, when you are walking in His ways, when you, in other ways, when you take your talents and your abilities and you develop those things and use them to the glory of God, whenever you take your Bible out in your home and you open it up and you read it, Whenever you are constant in your service, you're regular and faithful in your attendance at the worship service, you're always doing things for your brothers and your sisters in Christ, when you are constantly being a servant of the Lord, what you are doing, whether you even realize it or not, is you are instructing. You are instructing your children in what it means to be productive, to produce, to provide for others, particularly for the family of God. 
It's the idea of just being a light, not just to the whole world, but being a light even within your own house. In fact, sometimes there's questions that are asked about that first part of Ephesians 6 verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. You know, how might a father or a mother provoke their child to anger? I'll tell you what I believe is maybe the very worst way in which you can provoke a child to anger. And that is by hypocrisy. That is by not living out the truth that we profess. We tell people that we're Christians. We tell our kids that they need to know the Lord and love the Lord and serve the Lord and worship the Lord. And then we don't follow through with that in our lives. What's that do? That does nothing but breed contempt, anger, and hatred in the lives of our children. That's how you provoke a child to anger. Don't be a hypocrite. Set an example. Live it out. Be constant and real and true and genuine in your service before the Lord. You do that kind of instructing in that way, and according to the psalmist, what you'll have, you'll have just a whole bunch of olive plants right around your table. Children who are fruitful for the Lord, fruitful even for the world around them. You know, it is true and it is sad that too many children today, they grow up thinking that everything and everyone just exists as a gift to them and for them, instead of thinking about their existence being a gift for others. And it is sad as well to think about the fact that children sometimes grow up to believe that life is... It's about just, you know, kind of playing it as it comes and you don't need to really train and prepare and to, to discipline yourself and to be focused on some goals. It is also upsetting to think about children building a life around just consuming and taking all the time and not having the maturity to produce and be a giver in their family or in the church and for the Lord. And while that certainly is their problem, and they're going to have to stand before God and answer for that someday, in some ways, it's not entirely their fault. Sometimes what happens is parents have failed. Parents have failed in those formative years. Parents have failed during that time when they are like sponges, and they haven't molded them to be what they ought to be. Instead, they've allowed that child to just kind of mold themselves, or maybe they've molded them in the wrong way. That's not the way it's supposed to be amongst the faithful household of God. It doesn't have to be that way for you and it doesn't have to be that way for me. I go back to Psalm 127 there. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. In fact, he goes on to say there toward the end of Psalm 128, how blessed is everyone, everyone who fears the Lord. Parents who do their jobs and they do it well, they provide a blessing for that entire household. For those of us who we cherish our children, we care about them, and we're disciplining our children, we recognize that they're gifts, and so we discipline, we train them, and we try to lead them by our example, the Lord sees that. The Lord sees the toil and the anguish and the effort that we're putting into that, and the Lord honors that, and the Lord blesses that. Our house will be filled with great gifts. Our house will ultimately be filled with flying arrows that will hit that target for the Lord. And our house will ultimately be filled with fruitful trees. Fruitful that provides blessings for all. I want that for my family. I want that for me as a father. And I hope that you want that for your role as a father or as a mother or as a caregiver. Maybe you're having to step in and play that role that uh, maybe you're not even naturally in the role of the father or the mother. I know there's so many others that get into the, the role of uh, child raising these days, having to pitch in where others have failed. 
wherever you are, let's all do our part and let's raise these children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. It may be this evening, as I thought about all of these lessons this year on parenting, it may be that what needs to happen, maybe most of all, is maybe just some humility and some recognition that, you know what, me as a dad, I failed. And I'm going to be the first to say, there's so many areas in which I have failed. I have failed miserably. And I want to do better. And you know what? As you think then about the invitation of the Lord, that's really how it all needs to start. It needs to start with a recognition, with some humility that I have failed. I have failed God. I have not been what I ought to be. I have not given Him my life in complete service and gratitude unto Him. And I need to change that. And that's what the invitation of Jesus Christ is all about. If you're here this evening and you're not a Christian, you can come to the Lord, do that in humility, do that with a heart of repentance, with a desire to serve Him, this evening you can put Christ on in baptism. You can have your sins washed away. You can become a Christian tonight. If you are a child of God, there is sin in your life. You have failed. You've maybe failed on the job as a parent or as a husband or as a wife or just as a brother or a sister in Christ or just some other way. You can fix that. Our Lord is exceedingly merciful and He is ready to pardon to those who will confess their wrongs to Him and those who will come to Him repenting, seeking His forgiveness. If we can pray with you and encourage you in some way to serve the Lord in a better way, then this invitation is for you as well. Let's serve the Lord. Let's do what's right. And let's know the joys of being a part of that great family that will be in heaven someday throughout the ages of the ages. If you need to respond to heaven's invitation, do it right now while we stand and while we sing.